joy to, to be gathered once again uh, to, to worship the Lord Jesus. And as we as we start, as we dig into God's word, I just want to start with a question. I want to start with a question is with that question being, who do you turn to when you need help? Who do you turn to when you need help? Who do you call on when you need help? Some of us may, may call on our parents, may turn to our parents. We may call up a friend, a close friend that we might have. We might touch base with our spouse for those of us who are married. We may go to the church we're a part of and go to the pastors or leaders there and ask for help. Some of us may go to a counselor, to a therapist, which is okay, and ask for help. The list can go on and on and on. And those are all good. Those are all good people or good avenues to pursue help. And I want us, I want to encourage us to continue to do that. If, if that's what we're doing, I want us to continue to reach out to those folks that may help us those different groups of folks who may help us in our time of need, but they are not ultimately who we should turn to for help. They are not ultimately who we should turn to for help. In a, in a negative sense, right? So those were some of the positive ways or folks that you might turn to. In a negative sense, some of us, as we are needing help, looking for help, we may turn to drugs. We may turn to alcohol. We may even turn to inappropriate images or videos online thinking that those things will give us help or give us relief. We may turn to relationships. Whether that's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever that might be, we might we might we might turn we might say, "Man, like if I get a boyfriend or or if if I have a boyfriend, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn to this person, I'm gonna turn to this girlfriend or whomever it might be for help. Only to find that, that those things don't truly provide the help you really need. Those things won't actually provide or satisfy you in the way that you really need or are looking for. And so in a world of hurts, in a world of many pains, in a world of many hardships, sin, trials, and death, who do you turn to when you need help? Who do I turn to when I need help? Well, in our time together this afternoon, we're going to learn and think about the only one who can help us, ultimately in our time of need, that being the Lord, that being the Lord. So if you've been with us, we have been studying the Gospel of Mark. We are taking a break in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been uh, looking at a few passages here over these last few weeks as we're gearing up for our next sermon series, uh, which is going to be through First Peter. We're going to be walking through First Peter, where there are a lot of themes listed in the book of First Peter, but one of those themes uh, I believe Peter wrote was really to help us think through, man, how do we suffer well? 
And so we're going to be looking at that starting next week, Lord willing. But this afternoon, I want to get you to turn to Psalm 121. I'm going to get you to turn to Psalm 121 in your Bible. And if you need a Bible, let us know. Uh, we will get one to you if that's you. Let us know. We'll get a Bible to you. So as you're turning there, let me, let me offer another word of prayer. Father, thank you once again for this time, Lord. Oh, God, would you be made much of, be glorified through the preaching of your word. Lord, we thank you for your word, that in your word is truth. In your word is life. We want to drink upon this well of life, Lord. We want to eat upon, feast upon the bread of life this afternoon. And so, Lord, would you help us to do just that as we dig through Psalm 121. Glorify yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 121 reads as follows. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. Amen. 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 If you're taking notes, I just have three points for you this afternoon. Three points for you this afternoon. Here they are. Number one, the Lord helps his people. The Lord helps his people. We'll see that in verses one through two. Point number two, the Lord keeps his people. The Lord keeps his people. And we'll see that in verses three through six. And then the last point, number three, the Lord protects his people. The Lord protects his people. And we'll see that in verses seven through eight. A little context of the passage before we dive into the first point. So this is a psalm of ascent, right? So this psalm is a song that was sung by the pilgrims on the way to Jerusalem, right? And so uh, the psalmist singing these psalms, as you think about the book of Psalms, they were songs, right? Uh, and they were sung as the pilgrims were on their way to Jerusalem. These psalms in particular, the ascent. Number two, the psalmist looks to the hills as it starts out in verse one. He looks to the hills or he looks to the mountains and he asks about where does his source of help comes from? Right. And so in Psalm 120, if you read Psalm 120 before, you'll notice that the psalmist there is stuck in a distant and hostile place. Right. So he, he's stuck in a distant and hostile place. But then in Psalm 121, our psalm this afternoon, he seems to be on the move, seems to be on the move as he starts out with that first verse. Right. I look to the hills from where does my help come? comes from the Lord. And then lastly, the psalm expresses deep confidence, right? It expresses deep confidence in God's ability to protect the psalmist and the community. 
Notice that the psalmist is speaking to others. You see that in verse three, he starts by saying you. Right? He's like, where does my, he personalizes it himself, that my help. And he also says your help, you. So he's speaking to community as well. So it's with this background that we come to our first point. So point number one, the Lord helps his people. Look back with me at verses one through two in your Bibles or on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So just imagine the scene. Imagine the scene, right? That the, the psalmist is strolling along, walking along the mountains. He sees the mountains. He sees the hills. And he questions where does his source of help comes from? So he questions it. But then the next verse, he then with confidence says in verse two, that his help comes from who? The Lord, the Lord. So a quick question for us this afternoon. Have you, have, have I ever questioned where your help comes from? And then you have a, a moment of clarity, a moment of confidence, a, a moment of conviction when you're reminded that your help comes from the Lord. Is that anybody? Anybody has had that moment where you might have questioned like, yo, how am I going to get out of this situation? Or what's going on here? Or, what's going on there? It doesn't look like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You question your source of help. But then immediately, right after that, with a sense of confidence, with a sense of conviction, you're reminded, you're encouraged by the fact that, yo, your help comes from the Lord. Comes from the Lord. So the other question then is, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Well, we learned two things from verse two, right? Number one, that he is the Lord. In your Bibles, uh, the Lord should be capitalized, uh, should be spelled in all caps. And when it's spelled in all caps, this is referring to God's personal name. It's referring to his, his personal name, which is, which is Yahweh, right? And uh, we learned this, as I even read earlier, before the sermon. And uh, we're going to look at it again. But, but this, is, this is what the Lord tells Moses to tell the people of Israel as he goes out. And Moses is a little shaky. on like, He's like, hey, I know you want me to go. I know you want me to go and tell others. But man, like when I go, who do I tell them that you are? Who do I tell them that you are? And the Lord responds, in Exodus 3, 13 to 15, again, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord. Right? So right there, he's expressing who he is, his divine name, his personal name. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so, so we, we learn off gate that this is who the Lord is. That the Lord is Yahweh. That this is his personal name. That this is his divine name. So... We learn here that he knows the Lord personally, right? The psalmist knows the Lord personally, right? 
See how he personally and confidently says my in the beginning of verse two, right? He personalizes it, which, which shows that he, he knows he, that there's a, a relationship there. He's like, my, like my help, my help comes from the Lord. So he, he knows the Lord personally. And we also learned that God knows him personally, right? Even to the degree of relating to him with his personal name. Right. His divine name. In other words, what we're learning here is that God is personally devoted to helping the psalmist. And he is personally and committed to helping his people today. This is what we learn, that God is personally invested in helping his people. Even on the stake of his name. Even on the stake of his name and who he is. Not only do we learn God's personal name here, but we also learn that he is the creator. Right? We learn that he is the creator. See that in verse 2? What does it say? That he who made heaven and earth. Right? So we learn here that the Lord is the creator. He's the sovereign creator, the sovereign ruler, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of all things, including you and me, including you and me, who he made in his image after his likeness. And it's with this confidence that the psalmist can say, my help comes from the Lord. He can say that with surety. He can say that with assurance and confidence that his help comes from the Lord. If he made the heavens and the earth then surely he can help me. This is what the psalmist is saying. If he made the heavens and the earth, surely he can help me in whatever I'm going through, in whatever circumstance I may be facing. Surely he can help me. And the same is true for us Christians here. Surely, because he is the Lord, because he is Yahweh, because he is the sovereign ruler and creator of all things, including us, surely he can help us in whatever we're going through. God can help. And he delights in helping. He delights in helping. And you know something else about this? It's beautiful is that, that only Christians can have this type of confidence. Only Christians can have this type of confidence in God. That he is our helper and that he alone can help us in every circumstance. So the question for us as afternoon Christians is, do you actually believe that? Do I actually believe that? Do we actually believe because God is who he is, who he says he is, that he's Yahweh and that he is the creator of all things, that he can actually help you? That he can actually help me. Do you believe that? That God is your helper? He can and he will help you. If you're not a Christian, well, I just, I just have, have a question for you. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, who ultimately helps you? If you're not a believer here this afternoon, we're so glad that you're with us. It's a joy to have you. You are welcome here. But I, I want you to wrestle with that this afternoon. Like, who ultimately helps you? you 
See, the reality is, is that God isn't going to back like how he is with the Christians, with his people. For you, as you're not one of his yet. In fact, he's offended by you. He's offended by your sin. Sure, there's there's common grace. There is common grace that God graciously and mercifully allows it to rain on the just and the unjust. Right. In his mercy. He's allowed you to to have breath in your lungs this afternoon. And he in his mercy has has sent you here. You, you, you come here. You could have been any place today, but he led you here. I want you to to hear that non-Christian friend. Hear that as mercy this afternoon, as sheer mercy. That the Lord one has given you breath today. And that he's allowed you to come into the house of the Lord where we are here to sing of his goodness and his praise and glorify him and hear his word this afternoon, proclaim. See the mercy in that, that you are getting what you don't deserve. And we're all getting what we don't deserve. And agree with God this afternoon that you are a sinner. Agree with God and agree with the Bible that you are a sinner. That yes, God created you and me in his image, after his likeness, but that you are fallen. I am fallen. We've sinned against a holy, righteous, good God. A loving God. He's a loving God and he's also a judging God. He will judge us according to our sin. And if he were to judge us according to our sin, apart from knowing the Lord, that he would judge us swiftly and rightly and that the verdict of that would be guilty. That we would all be found guilty apart from Christ. But the good news is that he sent Jesus, he sent his son to come do what you and I couldn't do. To live a perfect life, a sinless life, a life in complete honor and obedience to God in your place and in my place. But then he's treated as a criminal. He's sent to the cross for your sin. And my sin. Because Jesus had no sin for which he had to die for. Went to the cross for our sins. And he goes there willingly and willfully. In love. For us. And he dies. And he's buried in a grave. But the grave couldn't hold him. He defeats the grave. He defeats sin. He defeats Satan and will ultimately defeat him for good at his return, ultimately. But he defeats all of our enemies in his resurrection where he's raised from the dead, proving to all that he is God and also proving that God accepted his sacrifice. God accepts his sacrifice and he offers you and me life. When we deserve death, we get what we don't deserve. He offers us life, eternal life, for all who would repent 
That's just a fancy word, biblical word that just means to turn away from sin. To turn away from the things that God hates and turn to him by faith, by trust, by belief, solely in what he has done alone. The Bible says once you do that, that you can be forgiven. That you can be forgiven of all your sin. Given a new life. And be with God for all of eternity. That's good news. That's the good news that if you are a Christian that has saved you. That's the good news this afternoon. If you're not a Christian that we want to hold out to you. We want to hold that out to you this afternoon. And plead with you. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to him. Turn from your sin. Turn to him by faith. Believe upon him. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. You'll receive life. You'll receive God himself. If you would like to learn more about what that would mean and how to do that, come see me after the service. Come see any of the Christians in the room. We would love to, to talk with you further about what it would mean for you to start your journey with Jesus. Don't delay. May today be the day of salvation for you. So that's number one, that the Lord helps his people. Number two, the Lord keeps his people. The Lord keeps his people. Look back with me in verses three through six. Here's what it reads. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. So in verses 3 to 4, we learn that the Lord will not let the psalmist's foot be moved. One translation says it this way. He won't let his foot slip. I like that. Now, this, I believe, has a, a double meaning. In one sense, it fits the context, right? It fits the context of our passage as the psalmist is walking up a mountain. He's ascending. He's, he's as this is a psalm of ascent. He's walking, right? So in one sense, God will keep his foot. He won't let his foot be slipped. He, he won't let him slip, right? Uh because that is it's crucial to survive when if you go hiking or climbing, any anybody who goes hiking, raise your hand, hiking, climbing, or anything along those lines, like that's important, right? Like that your foot don't slip as you're climbing and walking. So in this sense, he will keep his footing. In another sense, the Lord is able to keep us Christians. He's able to keep us from slipping and slipping in the sense of falling, falling into temptation, falling into sin. Right. Uh, yeah. Going back to the slop uh, that the Lord has saved us from. Right. He's able to, to keep us from from stumbling, as Jude says. Right. The book of Jude. And this is good news. This is good news that that the Lord who is able to help us will also keep us. That he will not let us slip. And this is good news to Christians struggling with sin this afternoon, which is all of us, right? This is good news for us as Christians who are struggling with sin. This is good news for Christians in the room who are suffering. 
right? Going through different challenges or circumstances. Or maybe you have Christian friends or family members who are suffering. Find hope this afternoon that the Lord can keep you and me grounded in the midst of every storm. He can keep your footing. He won't let you slip. Find encouragement in that. And not only this, find encouragement and confidence in this, that God is on 24-7 watch over you and me. Right? Look what it says. It says, he who keeps you will not slumber. He will neither slumber nor sleep. This God who we serve, it's amazing that, that he does not sleep. That he is on 24-7 watch over his people. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that encouraging this afternoon? So when you're, when you're knocked out sleep at night and you're drooling, God is, some of y'all might drool, uh, God is watching over you, right? He's watching over you. When you put your children, for those of us who have children, when you put your children to bed, you are stressing out about, yeah, like how the day went or maybe there's some health challenges going on. Whatever that might be, when you put your child down to sleep, you can know with assurance and confidence that the Lord is watching over you and your children. And he's on 24-7 watch duty for us. And that's something that we can be encouraged about and take confidence in this afternoon. And as we continue on in verses 5 through 6. We continue to see this truth about God being our keeper teased out more and more. Look there with me in verses five through six. It says that the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The idea here is that God is close to us, right? He's close to the psalmist. So as the psalmist is, is walking, right, up a mountain and the sun is beating on him, uh, that, that God is his shade, that God provides the shade on his right hand. As some commentators suggest that, so he's, he's close to us, he's also our protector, right? Our keeper. This is the idea here in verse six that the shade is close to you and protects you from harmful effects of the sun. But he says he won't let the sun or the moon harm you, right? So this is this is what God is doing, is that, that he protects you, protects the psalmist, right, as it says here, from the harmful effects of the sun, right? But then when you think about the moon, you're like, that's a little tricky there. What is going on with the moon, that, that the moon could, could potentially bring some harm, could, could, could harm you? So what does this mean about the, the moon and the sun? Well, one commentator helps us here, as he says, he says, he says, first, sun and moon may be used as a mirrorism simply to say again that God is on 24-hour watch over his people, right? So that's one. But then two, secondly, in ancient Near East, both sun and moon were thought to be deities that could bring harm on people, Right? So there's, there's, there's that element of, of, one, that God is on 24-hour watch over his people. But then, two, some of the beliefs then was that, man, that the sun and the moon were deities. And that these deities 
uh, could actually harm people. But when we look back at Genesis 1, and we know that there's only one God, and that there's one God who is the creator of all things, that dispels those false claims, right? That there are deities of the sun or, or the moon. That dispels those false claims. I don't want us to get lost in all the weeds of this, but the main point that he's trying to make here and that he's trying to get across is that essentially that God is on 24-7 watch. He's on 24-7 watch over his people, right? And that he won't let you, that he won't let his people be harmed, that he'll protect you from all dangers. So the Lord keeps his people, right? That's number two. And lastly, number three, the Lord protects his people. The Lord protects his people. Look back with me in verses seven through eight. Here's what it reads. It says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Christian, these verses remind us that God is our protector. Listen to them again. Let them just wash over you and remind you and encourage you. I hope in, man, whatever you might be experiencing this afternoon or whatever you experience coming in, may you be reminded and encouraged that, man, like God is your protector. Listen to them again. It says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Like how another translation says, it says, he will keep your soul. He will keep your soul. He will keep your going out and your, your coming in. Now and forevermore. Now I want to dispel any myths about these verses and the Christian life in general, right? Some of you may have been sold the lie that when you become a Christian, that when you come to Christ, you won't experience any evil. Some of you may have been sold the lie that when you become a Christian, that you wouldn't go through any suffering, that you wouldn't go through any challenges. You wouldn't experience any hard times. Well, I'm sure if we were to go around the room and just share amongst one another as Christians, that we would share that how that is a lie, right? That as Christians, we do go through challenges. As Christians, we, we do go through hard times. And I also don't believe that this is the way God would want us to interpret this passage, right? So Jesus, the son of God, who is God, God in the flesh, God incarnate, suffered. He suffered. So if God's son suffered, as Christians who are God's sons and daughters, we are not exempt. We are not exempt from the suffering. Think about how the book of Peter puts it. So Peter, the apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2, 21, he says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You hear that? Jesus being our example of one who suffered. He suffered in our place. He is the example of suffering. And then he calls us to follow in his footsteps, right? Jesus actually promises us that we would go through some stuff, right? Remember on the Sermon on the Mount? In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So do you, you, you hear that? That there's no claim in there that, that you wouldn't be persecuted or that you, you wouldn't experience any challenges. It is actually assumed that you will. It's assumed that you will, Christian. And he says, blessed are you, though, that you are blessed when you do go through these different things. He then tells us in verse 12, Jesus tells us to rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Now, I know in the moments when we're going through hard things and challenges, our first inclination is to rejoice and be glad. Right? We want to cry out. We want to ask God, like, why? Why is this happening to me? What is going on? Did I do something? Right? And that's not the response that God wants us to have. He instead wants us to rejoice and be glad. Even as the, the saints in the first church, right? As you look through the book of Acts, they counted themselves worthy. Worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. They saw that as something worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. So I think a better way to interpret this passage would be how Luke 21, 17 through 18 puts it, right? If you want to turn there, you can. I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. You want to write it down for a reference. But listen to Luke 21, 17 through 18. This is Jesus again. He says, "You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish." Again, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. I think what this verse reminds us is that two things can be true at the same time, beloved. Two things can be true at the same time. You can be experiencing all kinds of evil around you. You can be experiencing suffering and pain, yet at the same time be kept by the Lord. Two things can be true at the same time. All types of evil. All types of circumstances, challenges, calamities, strife, hurts, pains, death, sin. All of that could be all around us. And it is. All of us can be experiencing all types of suffering, challenges, family members with cancer, struggling in school, struggling with sin, peer pressure, whatever that might be, anything, all these different things can be happening, but yet as a Christian, still being kept by the Lord. Still being kept by Him. Being protected by Him. As things could be way worse. So again, two things can be true at the same time. Keeping you from all evil doesn't mean you won't experience any evil. It means, as the next verse says, he will ultimately keep your life. He will ultimately keep your soul. And as the Luke 21, 18 passage says, not a hair on your head will perish. Ultimately. You may be getting beat up with life. By life, by challenges, getting beat up. 
feel like you're losing the battle, losing the fight, but ultimately, you will win in Christ. Even as this verse says, not a hair on your head will perish, ultimately. So, so think about this as we wrap up. In our suffering, this should give us hope. Hope ultimately in the life to come. Hope ultimately in the life to come. So even if you and I die right now, Christian, God forbid, but if we were to die, we will live. We will live. We will have life, ultimately. Amen? And, and I think the reminder, too, is, is we are not living for this life. We're living in this life. We're doing our dealings in this life. And we want to honor God in this life. But there's a life to come, beloved. There's a life, a better life to come. And that's where we're headed. So when it says ultimately that not a hair on your head will perish, this is meaning in the ultimate sense that whatever may come and it will come. The different sufferings, the trials, the challenges, the hurts, the pains, they have come. I know that's true for all of us and they will keep coming. Ultimately, family, you will not perish. Ultimately, your trials will not have the last word. Your sufferings will not have the last word. Your pains will not have the last word. Your sin does not have the last word. Jesus has the last word. Jesus has the last word. And his last word is victorious. That he is victorious. Because you and I, Christian, are in him. We will ultimately be victorious in Christ. Not in and of ourselves, but in Christ. Does this not give you hope? This afternoon gives me hope. It gives me hope. And so Christians, in the midst of a world that's full of evil, keep your eyes on heaven. Keep your eyes and your mind heaven worthy like keep it keep it there keep it on heaven hope ultimately in the life to come in your suffering hope in heaven knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that light is the lord jesus himself during your trials trust in the promise of heaven and that god will ultimately keep you now and forever so the Lord helps his people the Lord keeps his people and ultimately the Lord will protect his people let's pray as brother Amos comes back God we thank you for uh, this passage Lord we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you Yeah, Lord, that you keep us, that you protect us, that you help us. What great mercy. What great mercy, one, that you saved a a people who was once not your people, but now is your people, are your people. Not based on anything that we've done, but based solely 
on what Jesus has done. So one, that we are your people. And as your people, we experience all types of things. Things that you didn't say wouldn't happen. But things that you said when they would happen, that you'll be with us in it. And you are with us in the midst of all of our trials, in the midst of all of our sufferings, in the midst of all of our pains. And you ultimately want us to get our eyes off of those things and to set our eyes on Jesus, who suffered in our place, who was the model of suffering for us, who then also invites us and calls us to follow in his steps. And as we follow him, we don't go alone. He is with us. You are with us. And so, God, I pray for all of the Christians in the room, Lord, who came in with maybe the weight of the world on their shoulders, uh, maybe experiencing, yeah, Lord, just uh, struggles with sin, Lord, feeling like they, they can't overcome a particular sin, Lord, battling, Lord, particular sins, or maybe coming in with family members who are sick, who are ill, maybe maybe recently lost a family member or a friend, so they're grieving. Maybe someone is, yeah, Lord, struggling financially, maybe lost their job, maybe looking for a job, or whatever that might be. Maybe, maybe someone got, has gotten a bad diagnosis, Lord, having health complications and challenges, or have family members and friends who are experiencing those things. Whatever that might be, God, whatever that might be, and the list can go on and on and on. I pray that we were all encouraged to know that when we are in need of help, we have nowhere else to look, nowhere else to turn, ultimately, but to you. Knowing, God, that you can help us and that you will help us. Knowing, Lord, that if we did get a bad diagnosis and that the diagnosis is still the same, and it hasn't changed how we might have wanted it to change, that you may not have granted healing yet, knowing, Lord, that in the next life, we will have ultimate healing. That in the next life, we will be fully and completely whole. And that you will keep us. And that ultimately, Lord, you protect us. I pray, God, that you would Ring that in our ears as we go into this busy work with the Lord. Filled with the known and unknown. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Jesus. The author, perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, endured the shame. Experienced the cross and died on the cross so that we might have life. Help us to be reminded of that and encouraged in that this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.